Well, we're back from Soul Survivor. We had a great time. The weather was, you know, so-so, but God answers prayer. He gave us a caravan. I don't know if they told you that last week. We were praying for a caravan because I hate camping. And, and I'll be honest, and this sounds really ungrateful, but, you know, we had the, the five days or whatever it is, and we had a caravan, and the bed was really comfy, and it was dry. But even so, camping's still not for me. Even in a caravan, I still just felt damp all the time. You know, you just feel this kind of clammy, wet feeling. It's just a bit grim, but the kids had a great time, didn't you? And we're going to hear more about that in a, in a couple of weeks. They we're going to ask them to, to share, and hopefully that they'll, they'll get the guts to come and stand on the stage and, and tell us what God was doing in their lives. So that would be great to hear what God was doing in them in a little bit. We'll, we'll show some videos and pictures, and that'll be, that'll be great. But yeah, we're back. And we're ready to go. So are you ready to, to hear from the word of God this morning? We believe in a powerful God. We believe in a God who can do miracles. And, and we're, part, we're in, in a series, I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series called The Good Work. And we were, we were talking about Nehemiah, a great, just an ordinary, everyday guy from, from the Old Testament who, who heard some news and, and it broke his heart to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. Um, and so we were talking a little bit like that. If you missed it, you can get it online. The podcast is, is up. Um, go and listen to it. But we're jumping into to part two this week, and it's a four-part four series, and, and we're going to be able to plow all the way through now for the rest of summer, so that's good, um, and we can finish it by the end of the month. But last time, we, we talked about how God can place on our hearts and in our lives a, a divine burden, something that God puts within our hearts that that moves us to a place where, where we just can't take it anymore, where, where he puts something within your heart, within your, your spirit, within the core of who you are that says, I'm not happy about this situation. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what's going on here. And, and I, I think we need to do something about it. And, and maybe God's put this in my heart because it's me that needs to do something in this situation. And, and I believe that God placed these divine burdens on you. And he and he upsets you for a purpose because he's, he's moving you in this kind of significant way that, that you can make a difference, that you can do the good work and you can start something that actually will have a great impact on the people around you. And, and often that, that burden that you bear reveals a calling that you're supposed to embrace. The burden that you bear reveals the calling that you'll embrace. In other words, the thing that, that tends to upset you, the thing that, that moves you to a point of tears like we saw for, for Nehemiah is often the thing that will drive you and will compel you to, to do something, to step out in faith, to, to do something that's going to make a difference in the world. And something that I heard this week that, that really encouraged me, and I hope it will encourage you as well, is that you rarely know when you're at the beginning of something of significance. You rarely know when you're at the, at the beginning of something of, of great significance, of great impact. And, and perhaps you've, you've seen a need, perhaps you've, you've felt this, this burden on your heart, in your, in your soul, and you've been kind of led by God to, to move. You've been prompted by him that actually this thing that that moves you, this thing that, that impacts you, this, this burden on your soul is something that you want to step out in faith and do something about, that you want to step out believing that God can use you 
through the power of his Holy Spirit to, to make a difference in whatever this situation is. And actually, as you step out in faith, you might not realize that actually that step of faith is going to be something that's so significant that it can change not only the, the people that you were thinking about originally, but actually it can go way beyond that to something that is, is so significant that it impacts on a national or even a, a global level. And you know, we believe in a God that can do miracles, don't we? We be believe in the power of Jesus' name. And actually, when we step out in faith, he can do so much more than we can ever ask or imagine. You know, we can dream dreams, can't we? When we, when we, when we have this, this thing in our hearts and we, and we want to step out in faith, we can begin to, to dream and say, oh God, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if just I could do this thing and it, and it could impact just my neighborhood or, or it could impact my workplace or it could impact my family. And we begin to dream these dreams and have these hopes and these visions for, for when we step out in faith, the impact that, that we could have on this situation. But actually, God can do so much more, can't he? You know, we can dream dreams, but God can take it so much further than we can think or imagine. And that's the promise that we're given in Scripture. And actually, I believe that that, that place is where some of you are today. In fact, I believe that's where we are as a church right now, that actually we, we ha we're daring to believe something we're daring to believe that God can use us in this situation, in this, in this thing that's burdening our hearts. But actually, he's going to do so much more than we can ask or imagine. Does that encourage you this morning? It certainly encourages me. So, so don't give up. I encourage you that as you step out in faith, you know, as we'll see next week, you, you can come against opposition and you can come up against challenges and, and trials, but don't give up. Press on, press in, and believe that God can use you through the power of his Holy Spirit to do something of incredible significance. So this morning, as we, as we continue with the message, the good work, we're going to look at the title of this week is Do the Work, Make a Difference. Do the Work, Make a Difference. So let me just recap, give you a little bit of context from where we're at in the story. And about 140 years before we meet Nehemiah, who is the, the person that we're looking at, the example that we're, we're drawing from, 140 years before we meet him, the evil king Nebuchadnezzar lead the, the Babylonian people to, to just wreak havoc on Jerusalem. And they begin to destroy the city and, and break down the walls, and they just completely wreck that community. They go in there and they just bring destruction. They go in there and they, they wreck the culture. They wreck the community in the sense of, of, of ownership and they just destroy it all. And then they take them into captivity. So you can imagine that, that the Jewish people, that they're just, they're just wrecked. Their, their, their livelihoods, their, their hometown, everything that they've, they've known and lived and experienced has just been ruined, has been destroyed, has been, has been burned to the ground. So these, uh, these early travelers, so after, after they've gone through all of that, then we fast forward just a, a couple of decades and we get to a place where actually some of the Jewish people were released 
And they get into a place where they can head back to their hometown. This, this place that was destroyed, this place that was demolished, and they can begin to rebuild. So they set out with the hope of, of rebuilding the city. They set out with the, with the hope of kind of rekindling their, their hometown and, and bringing it back to its former glory and getting it back to a, a place where they can worship again. So they, they head out on this mission they head out on this with this vision in their hearts to rebuild. And, and for some reason, they hit a dead end. And they, they go out with such passion and with such enthusiasm. And they've, they've got this kind of fire in their hearts. And they, and they get there and they strive to, to rebuild the city. But they just can't seem to break through this barrier that's stopping them from, from doing this work that they've been sent to do. And if you imagine, they've kind of gone back into this, this desolate place, this demolished city with, with no kind of culture anymore, with no, no community, no leadership, no purpose, no direction. And, and most of all, it's a place now with, with very little hope. And so they hit this, this dead end. They hit this brick wall, so to speak, that they can't push through. And they, they, they just feel demoralized. They, they feel like, well, you know, we can't do what we set out to do. We had these hopes and dreams, but actually we can't do it anymore. And then this is the point where we picked up the story and, and word got back to Nehemiah that, that his people had gone back and they tried to rebuild, but, but they couldn't do it. They just felt empty. They felt lost. They felt demoralized. And they got to this place where they just wanted to give up. They had no hope left. Have you ever, ever stepped out in faith or ever strived to, to achieve something in Jesus' name and, and just come to a point where you're like, it's not working anymore. I'm pushing on walls and I'm, I'm pushing on doors and I just, I just feel hopeless. I feel helpless because nothing's happening, because breakthrough isn't, isn't coming. And that's the place that, that these people were in. And, and word got back to Nehemiah and, and this news broke his heart. It crushed his spirit and it, it got him to a place where he just felt dreadful and, and heartbroken and, and longing to help his people. And so I want to remind you this morning that, that Nehemiah was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't a, a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a contractor with excellent building skills. He was just an ordinary, everyday guy. He was a servant, in fact, to the king. His title, his job role, was cupbearer to the king. So in other words, he, he didn't have any formal or appointed position. So this calling that he felt on his life, this, this challenge that he felt within his spirit, he wasn't, he wasn't appointed in, in that sense. But what he had was a God-ordained passion. Because he heard this news and it, and it broke his spirit and it got him to a place where he felt he had to do something. He felt God telling him, you, Nehemiah, this ordinary everyday guy, I want you to go and to make a difference. God was calling him to do the good work. You know, there are some of you here right now that, that you don't have position, so to speak. But you have been, but you, and you haven't been kind of commissioned to, to go out and do something. But you feel 
in your heart. You feel in your spirit. You feel in your soul that God is telling you, you need to go and step out in faith and do this thing that I'm calling you to do. You haven't been appointed by man, but you've been called by God. You don't need to be appointed by man if you're called by God. And, and the last time, if you remember, if you were you're here with us, we were talking about when this news hit Nehemiah, the first thing he did was he, he sat down and he cried. He sat down and he, he just wept. He mourned and he, and he, and he fasted for a, a period of time. And, and then the second thing he did was he knelt down to pray. In fact, 12 times throughout this, this portion of scripture, we see Nehemiah praying to the God of heaven to help him in this situation with this burden that he feels on his heart. And then, and then finally, after, after sitting down to cry and, and kneeling down to pray, he then stood up in faith to act on this burden that God had put on his heart. So the question that we're asking this morning is, how do you do the good work? How do you make a difference? How do you do the good work? How do you make a difference? So I want to give you four thoughts this morning about how we can approach this. And I'm going to get practical. I'm a practical person. I like to have strategies and plans, and I like to have things written down and notes and be organized in that sense. So we're going to talk about that kind of stuff, but we're also going to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to prompt us and guide us because we can have all the plans in the world and we can have strategies written out, but if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we're not going to get anywhere at all. So the first point that I want to say, and this is kind of reiterating where we were a couple of weeks ago, is that you want to seek God faithfully. You've got to seek God faithfully if you're going to see breakthrough, if you're going to be able to step out in faith, if you're going to be able to make a difference in this world, you've got to seek God faithfully. And again and again and again, we see Nehemiah going before God and praying and praying and praying again. In fact, like I said, that, that kind of period before where he got the news and he then approached the king to seek help, that period of time was four months. There was four months between him hearing the news about the devastation that his people were going through and, and actually he got to a place where he felt he could stand up and act. That period was four months that he spent just praying, just seeking God faithfully. He wasn't just, okay, I feel this thing in my heart, I'm going to send him a quick prayer to God and I'm going to jump straight in because I just want to get stuck in. You ever get that feeling where you just want to do something and so you just dive headlong into it, no plan, no strategy, no prayers, no, no questions, no pleas to God for help. You're just like, okay, this needs some help. I'm just going to go and get stuck in. Well, the passion is great and the heart is great, but if you haven't sought God you're not going to get very far. You don't get very far on passion alone. You see, Nehemiah was hurting. He was in a place of extreme upset. He was mourning for his people. He felt sorrow for his homeland that was in a place of, of destruction. And so he, he sought his heavenly father. 
And why did he do that? Why was he, why did he spend so long in prayer? Why did he spend so long praying to his God? Well, he was asking God to guide his steps because he didn't want to just jump headlong into helping them. He didn't just want to rush out to the city to start building because he didn't really have a clue what it was that he was supposed to do. He just, he just knew in his heart he was supposed to do something. So he sought God. He asked him to guide his steps. And actually, the, the situation that, it, that, it, that he was in, he, he spent four months praying for, for his people and seeking God. But actually, this news that he received was bad news. It wasn't good news. It was, it was bad news. And in that time, his role as a servant, as a, as a cupbearer to the king, his role was to protect the king from bad news. In fact, in, in those times, if, if as a servant to the king, you received some bad news, if you received something that was going to upset the king, then, then your job was to take that news and to bury it. You take that scroll that the news was given on and burn it. Don't let that news get to the king because your job is to protect the king and not to deliver him bad news. So he's in this place where he's got this, this devastating news and it's, it's really upsetting his soul and his spirit, but he doesn't want to deliver it to the king because his role is to do the opposite of that. So he doesn't want to take his burden to the king because he's supposed to be taking burdens off the king. So he's in this really tricky situation. He's in this real kind of kind of contrasting, conflicting situation. But look what he did in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Look how this story pans out. It says, Now I had not been sad in the king's presence before. He'd not been sad in the king's presence before. So, so the king notices this about Nehemiah when, he, when, he's, when he's feeling sad, when he's feeling downcast and and, and depressed and upset, the king notices and he says to him, Nehemiah, why is your face sad, seeing as how you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. You see, Nehemiah hadn't been sad in the presence of the king before, but, but this news that he heard, this, this upset that he was feeling, this sorrow that was in his soul, he couldn't hide it any longer. He'd obviously battled because there was four months between, between hearing the news and this moment, but he'd managed to kind of hide it or, or keep it hidden or, or kind of suppress it when he was around the king until this moment when he walks into the king's presence and the king looks at Nehemiah and he says, oh, something's not right. I can see it on your face. There's something not right. What is it that's going on? You're not sick, so it must be a heart issue. It must be something in your heart. And then watch what Nehemiah does. You see, the king knows that something's wrong, so he says to him, what are you requesting? Now watch what Nehemiah does. The king asks him, what is it that you want? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king says to him, there's something the matter. What, how can I help? What is, it, what is it that you need from me? And it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And we mentioned this last time as well, but there's something different about this prayer. 
Because he spent four months in, in prayer and, and petition and seeking God faithfully. He's been, he's been praying on his knees and he's been pleading to God to, to help his people. But there's something different about this prayer because it happens so quickly. He's in the presence of the king. The king notices something on his face and he says, there's something not right. How, how can I help? And, and so I prayed to God. This isn't a, a four-month prayer retreat. This is a quick one-liner. This is a man who is, who is in a place where he's walking so intimately with his heavenly father that he can just send an almost text-like prayer. God, help me. God, guide my steps. God, give me the words. God, give me wisdom. God, show me what to do in this situation. It's just a speedy, quick, one-line prayer. God, help me. And then he carries on. You see, I think it's important that we pray both ways. It's important that we can pray long and, and heartfelt prayers where we plead to God to, to intervene in our situations, where we pour out our praises and, and adoration and honor and glory to him. That we can spend long periods of time, not, not because it's good to pray for a long amount of time and you'll get more points in heaven if you pray for four months rather than four minutes, but because that's the natural response when we love our Heavenly Father, that we just want to talk to Him, that we just want to pour our hearts out to Him. You see, the great thing about God is He knows everything that we're going through. He knows what's on your heart. He knows your situation and your circumstance, and yet He loves to hear it from your lips. He loves for you to get down with Him on your knees and just talk one-on-one -on -one and say, God, this is where I'm at. I know that you know exactly what I'm going to say, but let me tell you anyway because you love to hear it. So it's good to pray those, those long and heartfelt prayers, but it's, that gets us to a place because we're walking so close with our Heavenly Father, because we're, we're spending that quality time in prayer with God that actually when we're in a situation that requires a quick response. When we're in a situation where we don't have time to just hit pause and pray a good, long, hour-long, meaty prayer to God, that actually we can just say, God, help me. And that's enough because he's in tune with you and you're in tune with him. And you could say, God, give me wisdom. God, guide my steps. God, show me what to do in this situation. And then we're in because he's there. He's walking with us step by step side by side, and he, and he hears us. And so there in the presence of the king, the king says to Nehemiah, what is it that you want? How can I help you? And he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. I hope you'll remember about prayer that there is nothing too big to take to God in prayer. There's nothing too big I mean, I don't really know why we would think that there's something too big to take to God in prayer because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the, the God who thought up this world that we live in. He's, he's bigger than we could ever imagine. So why you would think that there's something too big to take to God in prayer, I don't know. But let me just tell you anyway, in case that's something that's on your heart, if that's something that you're thinking, there is nothing too big to take to God in prayer. And on the flip side to that, there is nothing too small. There is nothing too small for God's heart. 
Because we know that our God is a big God and maybe we've got these huge visions and these, these grand hopes. And so we go, okay, God, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than me, so I'm going to bring it to you because you're the only one who can make a difference in, in this thing because it's ginormous. But actually, I hurt my finger and I'm in pain. But we don't, there's nothing too small to take to God. He's there for you in the big stuff. He's there for you in the small stuff. Remember that when we pray because he just wants to hear about our lives. He just wants to do everything with us. He doesn't want to miss out on a single thing. So whether it's big or whether it's small, you take it to God in prayer. He cares about all of it. You see, if it's a burden to you, if it's something that breaks your heart like we've seen it break Nehemiah's heart, then take it to God. If you want to do the good work, if you want to do something that's going to make a difference, then you seek God faithfully. You know, we've, Ruth and I have been, been pastor in this church now for coming up on 12 months. It's, it's flown by. And I think we spent the first kind of nine months just finding our feet, figuring out what's what, asking God how the heck are we supposed to do this thing that you've thrust us into way before we were expecting it. And, but now we've kind of come to a place where we're, we're comfortable and we're, we're happy and, and I feel like we're in tune with God. And so we've been spending some time in prayer just asking God, what, what is it that you want for this church? Because it's great that we're doing church and it's great that we, we come and we worship together and it's great that, that you know, we're seeing some new people come through the doors. But what is it that you want from Hope Church Lytham? What is it that you, you want to put on the heart of this church? So we, we just spent some time in prayer and, and seeking God because, you know, we can come up with ideas and visions on our own, can't we? And we can say, oh, this would be great, wouldn't it? And sometimes you can look at other churches. Anyone look at other? I love to look at other churches. I find it inspirational. And I try not to get to that place of comparison because then you feel dreadful. But we look at other churches for inspiration and, and you can do that and then you can go, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could do that? Look at what they're doing. That would be amazing. Okay, so our vision is to take Hillsong, copy, paste. That's going to be us. We're going to be global. We're going to have TV and record deals and all that stuff. But that's not us. That's not our heart. That's not our vision. That might be something that would be cool when we get on social media and we look at, at the things that they're posting and the things that they're willing to share with us because they don't share the bad stuff, do they? They don't share the blood and sweat and tears that go on behind the scenes. So that would be cool. But, but God, what is it that you want to put on our hearts? What is it that's the heart for Hope Church? Lytham. And God put something into my spirit. And... and and I believe that it's from God because it's too big for me. You know, when a vision comes into your heart and it's, and it's too big, you can perhaps believe that it's something from God. And the phrase that God put into my heart was, I want you to be a place and a church and a community that is, that is needed by the community. You're going to be a church that is needed by the community. And so I dug a little bit deeper into that and I was asking God, you know, okay, that's a great phrase, but what does that mean? What does that look like? What does 
how does that practically, you know, outwork itself? And so he revealed to me that actually to become to a place where we're needed by the community, it means that if you were to take our church and dissolve it, that there would be a hole, that there would be a, a gap, that something would be missing from this town because we're not there anymore. And so I heard that and I, I felt that in my soul and well, it scared the life out of me because I look at our church now and I think, well, you know, we're okay. We're, let's be honest, we're pretty small. Um, you know, we, we are lacking a lot. How do you get to a place where we are so needed by the community that if you were to get rid of us, there would be a gap, there would be lack, there would be something missing? And so I felt really encouraged because God said to me, that's the vision but you don't need to get there immediately. That's just the big picture. That's where we're heading. That's the, 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 the kind of direction, not the finish line. I don't want to say the finish line, but that's the, the horizon that you're looking at right now. But you just need to begin to walk on that journey. You just need to begin to walk on that journey. And so when God put that in my heart and he put that on my spirit, you know, it scared me, but it excited me because, I mean, who doesn't want to be a help to the community? If we're not helping the people around us, then I think we've missed the point of, of knowing Jesus. But the encouraging thing about this is that there's nothing too big to take to God in prayer. So I've got that vision on my heart, and I shared it with the leaders a few weeks ago, and, and now I'm sharing it with you. And I just... I just ask you to take that to God in prayer, to seek him, because I can't do that on my own. If I'm to take that vision and to, to step out in faith on my own, or with Ruth, or with the leadership, or even with all of you here today, if we were to step out in faith and, and to start to do that as a group of people, we wouldn't get very far. We'd fall flat on our faces because we need God in this. This is not me. This is not me and Ruth. This is not the leadership. This is us with God. It's us with God. So we need to take it to God in prayer. We need to seek him faithfully. God, I need you. God, direct me. God, guide me into how I'm supposed to move forward in this. So for four months, Nehemiah sought his God faithfully. He sought God faithfully. Do you know if prayer isn't necessary for you to accomplish your vision, then I don't think you're, big, you're thinking big enough. If God isn't needed to step in in order to see your vision come to life, then we're not thinking big enough. Our God is big. Our God is a great, big God. And we need to be people that are so full of faith that we need his power, his enormous power, his unfathomable, unimaginable power in order to see our visions come to pass. So how do you do the good work? How do you make a difference? Well, the, the first thing is you seek God faithfully. And the second point is you define the vision clearly. Define the vision clearly. I hope you'll understand that for most people, Failure is not the, a lack of caring, but actually it's just a lack of clarity. It's not a lack of caring because we can care about something and 
We can be passionate about something, but if we're not clear about what it is that we're trying to achieve, we're not going to get very far. We need to define what it is that we're aiming for. We need to define what it is that we're, we're looking to achieve. And, and look at this example that we get from, from Nehemiah, just an ordinary guy, an everyday guy who, whose heart breaks and he gets this, this vision from God that he wants to go and rebuild the walls. That's his big picture vision. I'm going to go and I'm going to rebuild the walls. But the reality is when that fell into his heart, he was like, well, I'm not a builder. I don't have the manpower to do this. I don't have the support or the, the, the stuff that I need in order to get this done. So I need to make a plan. I need to get clear about what the vision is. And so look at this example. You see, the king asks Nehemiah, he says, I see you're upset. What is it that you want from me? And Nehemiah says in chapter 2, verse 4, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, watch this, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Send me to the city so I can rebuild the walls. One sentence, clarity. Do you know, if we want to do the good work, if we want to do something that's going to make a difference, we need to seek God clearly, seek God faithfully, and define the vision clearly. Let me, let me tell you what Nehemiah did not do. You know, the king looked at him and he says, oh, I see there's something wrong, what, what's going on? And, and he didn't look at the king and go, oh, well, so I heard this thing from my, my uncle's cousin's son that, that something was going down in, in Jerusalem and they were feeling there's something not right going on and the walls have crumbled. And, and so I'm thinking that maybe what I'll do is I'll head over there I'll just scout things out. I'll take a look around and see what's going on. And then maybe when I'm there, I could find some people to, to maybe help me with some building. Or, or maybe we could just kind of set up a new temple. Or, or, or maybe what we could do is we could just start to write some letters to some people and ask them to give me some money so that I can, I can go on this missions trip because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost us some money and, and I don't really know how I'm going to do it. And then so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get there, just assess the situation, figure out what's going on, and, and then, then maybe things would work out. How does that sound to you, King? How does, how does that sound as a, as, a, as a plan, as an idea? Well, what, what is it you're trying to do? Send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. For most of you, it's not caring that's the problem. It's the lack of clarity. So what are you want to do? What is it that you feel God's calling you to do? What is your divine burden? This thing that's, that's burning deep within your soul. Well, well, maybe for you it's something to do with children. Maybe you feel like I'm definitely led by God to impact the lives of kids. Great. That's fantastic because we know that kids need to know the love of Jesus just as much as everyone else. So great. You want to help kids. Well, what kids? What kids do you want to help? Do you want to help kids with specific needs? Do you want to help kids that, that can't read or can't write? Do you, want to, do you want to help kids that have been abused? Do you want to help kids that, that don't have a home? Do you want to, what, what kind of kids do you want to help? No, I want to, I want to help kids. Okay, great. Well, what kind of kids do you want to help? And then where do you want to help? Do you want to help kids who have been abused in your town? 
Do you want to help kids that can't read in the, the, the county of Lancashire? Do you want to help kids that are, are fatherless in this nation? It's okay to think big, but just be clear about what it is that you want to do. These are the type of kids that I want to be helping. This is the, the location that I want to be helping them in. What is it very specifically that God is calling you to do? And if, if you feel in your heart, well, God's told me I'm going to help kids, and that's all you know, well, then you're at the start of that four-month period. So you get on your knees and you seek God faithfully because as you seek him, as you ask him to share his heart with you, then you'll begin to get clarity around the vision. You see, the bottom line is this. If we just go, I want to help kids, and we jump straight out into town, and we run to the nearest park, and we go, hey, kids, let me help you. What do you need? Well, they're going to think you're a big weirdo for a start, aren't they? And, and some people are going to get concerned about you know, the lack of DBS checks and all, all that stuff. We need to get clarity. Because if we don't have clarity, we're just running around like headless chickens with full of energy and full of enthusiasm, but no clue where it is we're headed. So if God is calling you to do it, define it clearly. So the king asks Nehemiah, what is it that you want me to do? And he says, send me to Judah so that I can rebuild the walls. Do you know, in business terms, we talk about smart objectives, smart objectives, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-managed or something. Smart objectives. You see, when you get smart about your vision, then you get clarity. Then you understand where it is you're headed and, and how you're going to get there. The time frame that it is that you're working within, and all of that stuff that you need to actually achieve your vision. You see, you might have a vision that says, I want to help my family get debt-free by the end of 2022. So that's a pretty clear vision. You know what it is that you're trying to achieve, when it is that you're trying to achieve it. Great. Or you might say, God is calling me to have a personal conversation about Jesus with everyone from my team at work by the end of the year. It's specific, it's measurable, it's achievable, realistic, and there's, there's some time frame to it. You see, when we've got that kind of clarity, then we're going to be one step closer to being able to achieve the thing that God's calling us to do. So what do you do if you want to make a difference? You seek God faithfully, you define the vision clearly, and then thirdly, you make plans carefully. I love a plan. I love a plan. I get so frustrated in our family because they're just rubbish at making plans. Ruth's side of the family are dreadful at making plans. So I know that something's going to happen at some point in the future. I know that we're going to hang out at some point, but I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what it is that I need to bring with me. And I'm just like, give me the information so that I can make a plan. I just want a plan. Do you know, I love, I love cooking, and, and uh, Christmas dinner is my favorite meal of the year. So you put those two things together, and it's super stressful, but it's so cool. I love cooking Christmas dinner. I mean, it never turns out as good as my mum's. It's the best Christmas dinner you'll ever taste. But I like to try. 
And so when I come to make Christmas dinner, I have a plan. And it's a ridiculous plan to the nth degree. It starts the day before in terms of my veg preparation. At this time, you need to peel the potatoes. At this time, peel the carrots. And then you soak them in water overnight. And then at this time in the morning, you set the oven. At this time in the morning, you put the, the whatever meat it is that you're having in the oven. And at this time, you do this. And this time, this thing comes out. And I know exactly from start to finish what time things are going to happen. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it never happens to time, but at least there's a plan. At least there's a plan. So I know the order and the structure in which things are going to happen. You see, if we're going to get things done, we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan. And where does that, where does that idea come from? Well, our God is a systematic God, isn't he? We live in a solar system that he created. We live in a world where there are seven days in a week, which he created. There are 365 days in a year, which he created. Don't get me started on leap years. I'm pretty sure that was us and not God, because that confuses the heck out of everyone. And yeah, February is just this weird thing. But God is a systematic God, isn't he? He likes to be structured and organized and have order. So we need to have a plan, a structure, a system if we're going to get things done. And, and watch how specifically our guy Nehemiah is about his plans. And so remember, he spent four months in prayer. He spent four months in prayer. And I believe that those four months were about, about capturing the heart of God, about being sure and about clear, about clarity, sorry, about the vision. And then it was about understanding what he would need to create this plan that would get him from A to B. I don't think this plan came together overnight. In chapter 2, verse 6, And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him. That's an interesting addition to the text, isn't it? We hear about this conversation with the king, but then at this moment, where there's questions going on, the, the queen's sitting beside him. Does that indicate who wore the royal trousers in that relationship? Quite possibly. I think it, perhaps it speaks to the fact that the queen is the one making the real decisions and the king's just the face. Not too dissimilar to the way things are run here. And so they're sitting there together and the king says, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Notice that Nehemiah doesn't reply with, well, I don't know, I haven't got a clue. I haven't really thought about that yet. No, what he says is, it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So he doesn't say what the time frame is, but it says that he had a plan in mind. He had smart objectives in place. Now watch him, he says, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. In other words, will you please get me some protection because I'm going to need some protection if I'm going to see this job done. Can you send letters to the people who are in charge so that they'll let me pass through? And then he goes on in even more detail and send a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber I need to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. He's thought about this clearly, hasn't he? 
I'm going to need protection and I'm going to need provision. There's some real meat on the bones of this plan. He's so clear. I need protection to travel. I need provision to build. And then he says to the king, and the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of the father was upon him. What did he do? What was his strategic approach to this? Well, he sought God faithfully. For four months he spent seeking God, asking God, so that he came to a point where God was directing his words, God was directing his steps, and then he could be incredibly clear, incredibly detailed, and incredibly specific about the work that he was going to do and what he was going to need to get it done. You know, maybe you have a vision. Maybe you've got this divine burden in your hearts and and you want to create a plan because being planful is good, but you get stuck because you don't know how to create the perfect plan. Well, let me tell you, there is no perfect plan. If you spend forever making the perfect plan, you're never going to get the job done because you're too busy making the plan. It's good to have a plan. It's good to have a plan, but don't get caught up on the fact that it's not perfect. It's not pristine. It's better to execute a good plan today with passion than for a perfect plan to take months and then for you to get to a point where all the passion's gone because you've spent so long planning and organizing. You've got to have a combination of a plan and the passion to do the work. Do you want to know what my plan is? Do you want to know what my plan is? My plan is to do the next right thing. I just need to do the next right thing. What's the next step on my journey towards this huge vision that God has put in my heart? I just need to take the next right step. So what is it that God's put on your heart? What is it that he's calling you to do? And don't get hung up on on, on trying to figure out the end game and just figure out what the next right step is and take that in faith, take that in, in hope and in the belief and the understanding that we have the power of the Holy Spirit at working in us. So what does that look like? Maybe it looks like a conversation with a counsellor. Maybe it looks like a meeting with someone who's already doing something similar to what it is that you're trying to do. What's the next right step for you step by step faithfulness by faithfulness so so what's your plan what is the next right thing for you you know you want to do something that makes a difference you want to you just got to do the next right thing have a meeting with someone but when you meet with someone that's doing what you're you're kind of something that's similar to what you want to do don't do all the talking don't just sit down with them and go this is me, this is everything that I want to do, this is everything I want to achieve, because you're going to learn nothing. You'll gain nothing. The great thing about meeting with someone who can mentor you is that you can hear from them, because they're wiser than you. They've been there before you, so you hear from them. Take an online course, listen to a podcast, get on YouTube. There's so much resource out there that can help to equip you to to get the next right step that can equip you to to begin to move on that journey. So how do you do it? How do you make a difference? You seek God faithfully, define the vision clearly, make plans carefully, and then finally inspire people passionately. 
inspire people passionately because you can't do it on your own. You need people and you need them to have the passion that you've got. It's great for you to have passion and to be over here just jumping up and down and bubbling for joy because God's given me this vision and it's amazing. But if you're the only one that's got that passion, you are not going to get very far. And we're going to need that passion. Because what's coming next week is when we look at Nehemiah starting to do the work and he's going to come against all kinds of conflict and opposition. We're going to find that the people around us that we've drawn alongside us to do the work are going to get discouraged and they're, they're maybe even going to get to a place where they feel like God's not with us anymore. We feel like we're, we're failing and when we're in that place, we're just going to get distracted and we're going to get exhausted. But what we're going to see is that, that Nehemiah again and again, he steps up and he reaches deep within his soul and he finds faith that, that actually probably he's kind of doubting even within himself that he can, he can get this, this project complete. So even from that place of fear and, and doubt and, and, and hopelessness, he, he digs deep within his soul to say, God, I need you. Burn that fire within me once again. Because if the passion isn't there, the project's not going to get done. I want to encourage you this morning that our God is awesome and all things are possible with God. So you may have this vision that's huge and, and you're looking at it going, I could never achieve this. Well, you're right, you can't. But with God, anything is possible. With God, anything is possible. And, and watch what Nehemiah does because he says to the people who are, who are struggling and who are doubting, he not acknowledges that things aren't good. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says to the people, do you see the trouble we're in? Do you see the trouble that we're in? I love that. It's, it's authentic. It's real. It's not, let's sweep these problems under the carpet and hope that they go away. He just faces it head on. Look, guys, this is a real difficult situation. This is a real difficult place that we're in. You see the trouble we're in now, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision that will no longer be in disgrace. And then Nehemiah says to them, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also for the words that the king had spoken to me because he'd already seen up to this point the faithfulness of God to give him the, the protection that he needed to get to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and for the provision that he would need to get the job done. So God had already shown him faithfulness. So he was encouraging them, look guys, it may look bleak. Things may be difficult. This may be challenging, but look how faithful God has been already. God's with us. God's for us. God is working. We've got to inspire the people around us. We've got to keep them burning and keep them passionate. Inspire people passionately. John Wesley once said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion and people come from miles to watch you burn. We need to pour a little fuel on ourselves. Not literally. Pour some fuel on that passion and get it burning so fiercely that, that actually the flames start to draw people around to, to see what, 
What is this passion? What is this enthusiasm that's coming from this individual or from this, this local church? What's, there's something going on there and it's burning bright. Let me go and see. And actually when they begin to draw close, then they begin to catch on fire themselves. And passions, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's falling out of my head. But it, infectious. It's infectious. When you're passionate, other people get passionate. When you're excited and you're enthusiastic, other people become to get excited and begin to get enthusiastic. It's why I stand on stage like this and speak with ridiculous tones and jump up and down and bubble and shout because I'm excited and I want you to get excited too. You've got to catch hold of this passion. Let it burn deep within you. God's given us a vision. He's given us a vision that is, is big, it's bold, it's brash, and it's way beyond anything we could ever achieve on our own. But with God, we can achieve it. With God, anything is possible. So what is that thing that's on your heart? What is it that God's burdening you with? Let it get right down into the core of who you are. Let it start a fire within your soul, a fire of passion that just burns so brightly that people can't help but see, oh, there's something going on within you. What is it? Tell me about it. And then when someone asks you to tell them about the thing that you're passionate about, you begin to get excited. You begin to get passionate. And then they see it and they begin to get passionate and they begin to get excited. And they're, they're, they're going to tell their friends, oh, listen, what this person's doing, they're doing this. And it's so exciting. And then it just spreads and spreads and it becomes bigger and bigger. And that's when things start to happen. Believe it in your heart. Inspire people. Do you know the burden that you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace? What is it that's in your heart? And just one final encouragement before we, we close and we can get the bouncy castle in here is that, do you know, God put something on your heart and you might just be thinking, but it's me. And I'm just an ordinary, everyday person with no skills and no abilities and, and no know-how as to how to do this thing that I feel God is calling me to do. Well, congratulations. You're exactly the person God wants to use. You're exactly the right person. Because time after time after time through scripture, God takes everyday, ordinary people who have no clue what it is that they're doing. I mean, look at the disciples. How long did they spend in Jesus' presence? They spent every day with him, learning from him, uh, hearing him teach, seeing him do miracles. And even at the very end, they were like, we're still a bit confused. We still don't really know who you are. It baffles me. They had no clue. They were just a bunch of ordinary guys and Jesus saw something in them. And so he drew them alongside him. Well, that's what he's doing to you. So how do you make a difference? How do you get started doing the good work? You seek God faithfully. You define the vision clearly. You make plans carefully and you inspire people passionately. And then you step out and just watch what God will do. Just watch what he will do with that combination of, of the passion within you and the power of his spirit. Just watch what he will do it's going to blow your mind. I genuinely believe that. It's going to blow our minds.
I hope that's been encouraging this morning. Why don't we close in prayer? Lord God, we just thank you that, that you take everyday ordinary people and you put something on our hearts and you put something deep within us that burns like a fire. And I just pray that you'll, you'll pour some fuel on that fire this morning, that it may become a roaring fire that, that draws people around us, that they can catch on fire too and begin to grasp hold of the passion within us and, and want to come alongside us and, and get stuck in. I pray that you'll give us clarity of vision, that you'll give us detailed plans about what it is that we need to do to take the next step towards that vision. So God, we just thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.